My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 62, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Numbers 11, Deuteronomy 11, and Psalm 94. Numbers 11. Now the people complained about their hardships and the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So that place was called Teberah because fire from the Lord had burned among them. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers and melons and leeks, onions and garlic, but now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves. And it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms, as a nurse carries an infant, to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me seventy of Israel's elders, who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting, that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you, so that you will not have to carry it alone." Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, Here, I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month? Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? The Lord answered Moses, Is the Lord's arms too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and he took some of the power of the Spirit that was on him and put it on the seventy elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. 
However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubits deep all around the camp, as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers. Then they spread them out all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore, the place was named Kibroth Hetavah, because there they buried the people who had craved other food. From Kibroth Hetavah, the people traveled to Hazaroth and stayed there. Deuteronomy 11. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God, his majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, the signs he performed and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his whole country. What he did to the Egyptian army, to its horses and chariots, how he overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea, as they were pursuing you, and how the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. It was not your children who saw what he did for you in the wilderness until you arrived at this place. And what he did to Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, the Reubenite, when the earth opened its mouth right in the middle of all Israel and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that belonged to them. But it was your own eyes that saw all these great things the Lord had done. Observe, therefore, all the commands I am giving you today, so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, and so that you may live long in the land the Lord swore to your ancestors to give to them and their descendants a land flowing with milk and honey. The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take, possession of is the land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It is a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. So if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good lands the Lord is giving you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and mine. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. 
If you carefully observe all these commands I am giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, and hold fast to Him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as He promised you, will put the terror and fear of you on the whole land, wherever you go. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God, and I am giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I commanded you today by following other gods, which you have not known. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land you are entering to possess, you are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings and on Mount Ebal the curses. As you know, these mountains are across the Jordan, westward toward the setting sun, near the great trees of Morah, in the territory of those Canaanites living in the Arabah in the vicinity of Gilgal. You are about to cross the Jordan to enter and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. When you have taken it over and are living there, be sure that you obey all the decrees and laws I am setting before you today. Psalm 94. The Lord is a God who avenges. A God who avenges, shine forth, rise up, judge of the earth, pay back to the proud what they have deserve. How long, Lord, will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers are full of boasting. They crush your people, Lord. They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the foreigner. They murder the fatherless. They say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob takes no notice. Take notice, you senseless ones among the people. You fools, when will you become wise? Does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches mankind lack knowledge? The Lord knows all human plans. He knows that they are futile. Blessed is the one you discipline, Lord, the one you teach from your law. You grant them relief from days of trouble till a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. Judgment will again be founded on righteousness and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? Unless the Lord has given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Can a corrupt throne be allied with you, a throne that brings on misery by its decrees? The wicked band together against the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my fortress, and my God the rock in whom I take refuge. He will repay them for their sins and destroy them for their wickedness. The Lord our God will destroy them. Okay, so big picture reminders. We are discussing how the story of Numbers and Deuteronomy are tethered to the entire Pentateuch, or in the Jewish phrasing, the Torah. Whenever it is referred to by other speakers in the Bible, such as Ezra and Nehemiah, they talk about it collectively. So they work together in the story and they tell the story in the story over and over again. For example, in Hebrew, the first words of each book taken together would be in the beginning, which is Genesis, departure, Exodus, he called Leviticus, in the wilderness, Numbers, and words, Deuteronomy. So the whole story of the Pentateuch or the Torah is, so in the beginning, scene one, departure or away, 
from in scene 2A, and then departure for in 2, redemption, in 2B. God calls us into restoration and flourishing role with him at the center. That's scene 3. We have to unlearn and relearn through trials in the wilderness, scene four, and then the guide and guardrails are given to us in the word, the law, given after rescue with him, wanting to dwell in the center of our midst, scene five. But to do this, we cannot be morally defecting into alienation and dislocation. We must, with all of our hearts, soul, and strength, Shema, love God and his will and ways given in his words. There and that way is the only way to right relationship and flourishing in our training to become a kingdom of priests, subjects and vice regents of God and creation, brand ambassadors of him, bearing his name, putting him on display, helping others navigate their way to God for atonement, interceding in prayer, and prodigally loving, just to name a few. And remember, Numbers is the story of the Mount Sinai generation, and Deuteronomy is more of a story of the wilderness generation, the generation after. So in Numbers 11, there are three protests for the Mount Sinai generation of the Israelites. First, set out from Mount Sinai. So this was the beginning. If you remember in the last story, they were finishing their preparation, and now they're on their way. And theologian Adrian Reynolds describes it as a pattern for every rebellion. That's what we're reading in Numbers 11 that will take place. Because in the last story, we were like, okay, they're ready. Are they ready to go? Are they going to make it? Oh, immediately we see the struggle with rebellion is on in full force. He describes these rebellions as beginning with grumbling and complaining. So that should, for all of us, be like the first red flag. because it's like patterned out. The rebellion begins with grumbling and complaining. Then the Lord hears and responds. He's typically really angry and frustrated because you're pulling away. And the people cry out to Moses and he intercedes for them. Then the Lord relents. In these stories of complaining and rebellion, God is almost always giving the people over to the very things that they want. For example, giving the people quail because they were ungrateful for the manna, giving Moses support for leadership because he was complaining about leadership. This is what I call the more problem. When we forget, which was described as the biggest threat to us, when we forget who God is and all he has done, and we begin to treat him like a genie, and we are blinded by any difficulty, and we just want more. Yikes! It's a reminder to me that complaining is a red flag, that I should check in with my life and the Lord and immediately engage the practices of drawing closer to God's details, practicing gratitude, and making sure I am in and I am telling myself the right story, the one where I'm a part of his world, he's not a part of mine. That's the real story. And not drift to unanchored stories based on like my transient mood state or situation that I remain anchored. Dr. Gary Miller explains how Deuteronomy 11 is Moses giving emphasis in his speech to the Exodus generation, that second generation, that while they they may not have experienced the Exodus firsthand, they are from a great lineage all the way back to Abraham, and they are old enough now to understand what they've been taught. There is a repeated warning about not responding wholeheartedly to God's great grace and action. I think of the creation of Adam painting uh, by Michelangelo in the Sistine Chapel in Italy where God is reaching with like this great grace and action with his like whole body and arms stretched out. And the representative human is in this lounging, lackluster posture, kind of sort of reaching towards God. Now, I know we're not technically theologically, you're not supposed to like anthropomorphize 
God, but I think this is interesting depiction of orientation, like how God is just pursuing us even though we're pulling away and how we're like so often not really that interested in right relationship. There's also this really interesting contrast 10 and 12, painting this illustrative contrast referencing the difference between a Genesis 3 world where we toil in the land to survive and we have trouble conceiving, but the verse in Genesis 2 and here this description of the promised land is a place where God cares for it and us in it and we're to do what he's, he made us to do in this place just like it's described in Genesis 1 and 2. And then throughout the law, remember the four parts of becoming a priest, because that's what we're supposed to be focused on. It's where he takes care of like the garden that we're living in. And we focus on uh, becoming a kingdom of priests, putting him on display, helping others navigate to atonement, interceding in prayer, being prodigally generous. We've learned the importance of doing just as God said. We've learned he is the only God and that there can be no others, including placing ourselves in the position of God where we think we know what's best or we don't think he's offering enough or in the right way. So we move to trying to take blessings. That's not the order, right? (laughs) That's an option, but the moral defection leads to alienation and dislocation versus that right relationship and flourishing. And what's our greatest defense? Shema, loving the Lord our God with all our hearts, souls, and strength. And here at the end of Deuteronomy 11, the words lay up and place and install God's word in our heart and soul, keeping all the commands as we follow God wholeheartedly. Obedience leads to the blessing he made us for and the purpose of blessing others. A curse is actually the absence of blessing. It's missing out. It's alienation and dislocation. It's time for the Israelites to cross the Jordan for such a time as this. There's so much anticipation. What will the second generation do? What will happen? We'll have to wait and see. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.